Greetings and welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jared and I hope you are having an awesome day. It is one in the morning, Sunday night slash Monday morning. And we just had our Christmas extravaganza today. It was awesome. If you weren't there, we had eight people in the band today, which is definitely the most we've ever had, including a uh, a brand new player named James, who is an incredible trumpet player. James, if you're listening, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, We had a blast. Um, If you've never uh, experienced one of our Christmas services, uh, honestly, it's probably a little different than most Christmas services you're used to at church. Uh, The music is really just mostly fun Christmas stuff. Like, yeah, we we get kind of serious when we do Silent Night and Oh Holy Night. Uh, But for the most part, we just, well, not even for the most part, we we stick totally to Christmas music for the whole day. And, um, you know, some other churches might yell at us and be like, you have to sing more worship songs. Well, you do that at your church. We're going to, we're going to be different at different church. So that's what we did. And it was a blast. Thank you to everyone who was there and to everyone who dressed up. Uh, Shout out to Jordan, who was wearing the um, Christmas suit. And I think he totally won the day. Um, Thank you. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for listening all year. Uh, Thank you for being interested in what we're up to. Uh, Don't have any big announcements for you right now. Just make sure you connect with us at diff.church. If you love what we're doing, we would love if you would uh, give to make sure we can help keep doing what we're doing. And um, we try and use anything given to us in the best way possible. We even donate to local charities. And um, yeah, it's just uh, a big deal that anyone really loves what we're doing and wants to support it so thank you um yeah oh uh i know no announcements but i did want to share one of the songs from today uh as actually the first song that we did in the set and it was just guiana it was a song she was really excited about playing uh i'll let her introduce it hi hello how are you amazing so it's Christmas and whatnot. I'm gonna uh, do a song from Frozen that I love and adore. Uh, it's called, Do You Wanna Build a Snowman? Even though we have no snow. So it's really, Do You Wanna Build a Sandman? It's fine. Um, I'm doing a version by Fatai, and if you've been going here for a while, you've probably heard us do a couple of Fatai's versions of songs. And it's great. I hope you like it. So here we go. Do you want to build a snowman? Come on, let's go and play. I'll never see you anymore. Come out the door, it's like you've gone away. Hey, we used to be best buddies, and now we're not. I wish you would tell me why. Do you want to build a snowman? Do you want to build a snowman? Yeah, doesn't have to be a snowman. And you say, go away. Ride our bikes around the hall 
I think some company is overdue I've started talking to the pictures on the walls It gets a little lonely All these empty rooms Watching the eyes tick by Watching the hours on the clock, watching the hours on the clock go by. Tick tock, tick tock. Watching the hours on the clock, watching the hours on the clock. Hey, hey. Tick tock, tick tock. Watching the hours on the clock, watching the hours on the clock go by. Tick tock, tick tock. Watching the hours on the clock. I'm right here for you, just let me in We only have each other It's just you and me So what are we, what are we gonna do? Oh, do you wanna, do you wanna, do you wanna build up? Do you wanna, do you wanna, do you wanna build up? Do you wanna, do you wanna, do you wanna build up? Do you wanna, do you wanna, do you wanna, do you wanna, do you wanna build up? Do you wanna, do you wanna, do you wanna build up? Do you wanna build a snowman? Today, our, me- our verse is from Luke, as it was last week. Luke chapter 1, verse 43, it says, But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Today's message is called Assumptions. Now, here are some assumptions that we make about the Christmas story. It is assumed Mary rode on a donkey. The Bible does not say that she did. It is assumed that there was an innkeeper. It's not one mentioned anywhere. It is assumed that there were three magi, the three wise men. The specific number is not mentioned. Uh, It is assumed that there was a star overhead when Jesus was born. It doesn't say that either. It's also assumed Jesus was born in a barn, but all it says is that he was laid in a manger. Could have been any number of places. Christmas comes with many assumptions. Some are helpful, some are not so much helpful. Spirituality also comes many assumptions. The ones that fail us are the ones that make it about what it's supposed to look like or who is worthy for it to happen to or what kind of outcome is supposed to have for you. Assumptions like this. You should be more than you are right now in order to be pleasing to God. 
Your weaknesses are in the way for God's plan for your life. Your lack of religious fervor is a disqualifier for divine participation. Other spiritual people have something you don't have. And my personal favorite, the ever-present, eternally vague, you're probably doing it wrong. I think our assumptions hinder our spiritual journey in like multiple ways. Um, the, it, like, how do we fix it? The antidote to assumption is surprise. It's not knowing the answer. It's being surprised. The surprise of Christ's incarnation is that it happened in Mary's day, just like it's happening right now, all over the world, with our lack of resources and our crowded lodging and our unlit night sky and our humble beginnings. It's a surprise. It's a surprise that life comes from dead places. It's a surprise that nobodies are central to divine plans. It is a surprise that messengers are sent all along through your life's journey to remind you that you are not alone. It is a surprise that you actually will be given everything you need to accomplish what God has told you to do. It's a surprise that actually, in fact, nothing can separate you from the love of God, despite what you've been told. Incarnation is the process of being seen. But to be seen is to be known. And to be known is a risk, because people could love you or not. They could be like, oh, you suck. <laughs> and I think a lot of us have been raised not in name only, but like in feeling, in this spirituality that operates out of the belief that I flourish by earning love. If I do this, or this list of things, and not that, definitely a list there, then I'll be loved. Then I'll belong. Then I'll be in the heavenly club. My membership will be secure until I do the thing that I'm not supposed to do, you know, the thing. And then I'm like, oh, I feel guilty. And I have to go to the club president and apologize and hope he forgives me. And then I'm back in the club and everything's great until tomorrow when I do that thing again. And it just repeats in an endless cycle of anxiety until you die. <laughs> it's a very anxious spirituality to have. But there's another spirituality that means it's based on the notion that we're not actually flourishing by earning love. It's not by earning, it's through receiving that actually we grow. So it digs down into this eternal source of love and it's the belief that love is something you can never be taken away from, no matter what. I think one of the qualities that makes humans so unique is our ability out of all other living species in the world to reject ourselves, to put on a mask and pretend to be something you're not. I mean, just visit a political convention. You will feel that truth in your bones. Mm -hmm. Perhaps visit church. Mm -hmm. Hmm, was that too far? <laughs> this is Christmas, let's be charitable. <laughs> not church, that would never happen there. So one of the main story arcs in all of humanity, but definitely in like every movie and play and book and poem, any creative outlet that tells stories of humans, is this moment when reality strong arms you into admitting who you really are. And then you get to embrace that truth with kindness and sympathy. 
Why is being seen, why is incarnation so hard? It's hard because when you decide to live into your true self, your strength and your weakness and your light and your shadow and your superpower and your kryptonite, you actually are showing yourself to the world, which means you can be touched. You can be loved or not. You could be rejected. You could be embraced. You could be ignored. You could have all the complicated interactions that come with human relationships. Yay. And this is an exciting and terrifying proposal. So much so that we question whether revealing our true selves is even worth it, like on a daily basis. Unconsciously, we have this, is it? What should I say here? Should I really? Maybe not. Not today. I don't have the energy. One of the invitations of the Christmas season of Advent is the contemplation of God incarnate. God being seen. What does it mean? I find this a crazy concept. What does it mean for the unseen holy mystery that cannot be explained to be seen? And because seen also touched and held and loved and known and rejected, you might think like God in the flesh would be the most all-encompassing, beautiful human being the world has ever laid eyes on. The answer to that question is a big biblical nope. Jesus was a pretty average-looking dude. In fact, there was even a prophecy being like, he's going to be normal. <laughs> and actually, what we see in the chronicles of Jesus' life is that being seen was very complicated for him. He didn't have any special magnetic charm. In fact, mostly what he said was confusing. And like, how many times in the New Testament... We're like, and the disciples were confused. <laughs> and the crowds were confused. And Jesus spoke to them in stories because no one understood what he was trying to say. He was misunderstood by his community. His family was skeptical of him. His cultural, like, spiritual leadership thought he was the literal spawn of Satan. Uh, he even had a close friend who sold him out because he stopped believing the hype. So if love had to be earned... Jesus failed at that. But actually what we see in Jesus is a spirituality that is grounded in the never-ending spring of love that was the source of everything he did. It enabled him to forgive and meet others in their pain and speak hope in a culture that was desperate for a different way to do life. It was a source that empowered him to lay down his life for the people he loved. And may it be known, this is what I want you to think about this week, the God the giver of existence took the same risk that we all have to take every day to be seen and known as the person we really are. The risk of incarnation is the risk of love. Love risks heartbreak and rejection and being sold out by your friends because love is the animating source that brings out all the wonderful things like companionship and joy and healing and wholeness. And it's sacred. How do you depict something sacred? Like to try to make something sacred is to give reverence to the weight of its importance. Something significant happened, like Jesus was born this significant. Happened in our really ordinary world. This meeting between the finite and the infinite, it changes the way we understand our reality right now that we find ourselves in. So we don't want to forget it, so we have to memorialize it. We have to honor it and set it apart and add some shiny gold leaf and let, you know, we were just attempting to like preserve it. And we have done a fairly good job of preserving it. 
because we're still talking about it right now. This is a helpful and necessary work that humans have practiced since the beginning of humans. Making things sacred, remembering, setting it apart. The problem lies that in the process of making something sacred, we uh, usually cut out all the actually human stuff that is equally a part of the divine happenings, especially in the art depicting the birth of Jesus. Okay, so most paintings of the newly born tiny baby Jesus, they are of him sitting upright as if a newborn can sit, clean, rosy-cheeked, wide-eyed, smiling, even though babies don't learn how to smile until they're like eight weeks old. He has a shiny halo around his head. Like, I get it. I get it. Trust me, that looks way better than what actually happens. That beautiful, perfect baby Jesus who's sitting and smiling, that's so much better than the newborn alien face blob that the doctor plops on your chest who has just gone through a trauma and then promptly poops on you. Well, you know, you're still having contractions and they're trying to fix that situation. I get it. The painting looks better. Uh, not real life. The art depicting pregnant Mary is very much the same, right? She's like beautiful, dressed in lovely clothing, so serene, has this perfect baby bump. She's like smiling, well-rested Mary. No. <laughs> Why? Because of course that looks better than pregnant Mary hugging the toilet hole in the ground. I don't know what they had then. <laughs> Yelling at Joseph to get the chicken he's eating away from her and asking for help to get off the floor because her abs don't work anymore. The painting looks better. <laughs> it's not real life. We always take our most important stories and we set them apart so we can remember them for the rest of time. But this process becomes unhelpful when we separate our own fleshy humanity from the story. Because when we dismiss all of our aches and pains and our fluids and our hair and the fact that we're all just naked under our clothes and sometimes we're anxious and our stomach hurts and we have headaches because we ate too many quesadillas and like we just make bad choices and we're just like, mm, let's not put that in the painting. <laughs> then we dismiss ourselves from being the very ones who can actually participate in the story. Our physical bodies is actually the meeting place where the spirit of God meets every person. And if the incarnation exists, insists on anything, it insists that our physical bodies matter to God. So maybe we should give some kindness to our bodies this holiday season and all the time. Because our bodies, with all their fleshy, hairy, cellulite nauseated, what else did I write? Heartburn? Mm. <laughs> Stayed up too late, died the next day. <laughs> this body is a major part of the sacred story we find ourselves in. And I mean, here's the deal. If you live long enough, your life will begin and end with someone wiping your butt. <laughs> oh, how nice. <laughs> I mean, when you're little, you don't remember, so it's not a trauma. But when you're old, huh. <laughs> From vulnerability to vulnerability, we live. Our existence is only accomplished with the help of other people. For Mary and Joseph and this tiny, unborn baby Jesus, it seems like no one was there to help them. Because in Luke 2, 6, it says, there was no room available for them at the end. Y'all have all heard this verse? 
Yes, okay, that's kind of what it says. Remember I said assumptions. This is how, what it actually should say. While they were there, in Bethlehem, parentheses, a time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. There was no room at the inn is one of the most misunderstood reveals of the entire Christmas story, I think. Like, this misunderstanding comes from years of storytelling and our complete removal from the ancient context. Like, if you have the pleasure of staying with your family this Christmas, I say pleasure slightly sarcastically, uh, because I, like, this is the way I grew up. If you go visit family, you sleep on the floor in their house. Or maybe, maybe if you're a kid, you might get a sleeping bag. The parents get at least the pull-out couch, right? Or the kids get kicked out of their room so adults can sleep in there. And now that I'm an adult, I'm like, yeah, that's necessary. My bones cannot take the floor anymore. That's what you just stay with family. That's what you do. If you, it doesn't matter how cramped, uncomfortable, how many uncomfortable conversations you might have with tense, awkward emotion. You get to stay with family. That is what you do. My husband did not grow up that way. Bless him. I married him, and he was like, we're getting a hotel. And I was like, what? What? You can't do that. This is a horrible idea. We have to stay with family. Everyone will be offended. And his parents were like, no, please get a hotel. <laughs> and now, expensively, I cannot do anything else. I'm like, oh, to have my own space, <laughs> to not have to get up early and be tripped over. But in ancient society, right, that's not how it went down. So our traditional telling, fueled mostly by Renaissance paintings, and children's Christmas plays would have us believe this. Pregnant Mary and no speaking lines Joseph are hurriedly on their way to Bethlehem. They have to go to the census, but they have to go really fast because this baby is coming right now. Like, they might not even make it to Bethlehem. That is how pregnant she is. But because of the census, all the La Quintas were booked. But, but, there was one hotel manager at the Holiday Inn Express who felt so bad for them. He's like, you can sleep in my barn. With the animals, I mean, it's all I got. It's that or sleep outside. And then, you know, Mary gave birth to Jesus while a donkey watched. Delightful. Almost like, hmm, chewing the cud or whatever they do. I think that's only a cow thing, but what do I know about animals? And then after she finally gives birth, and what, like, who cleaned it up? It's just them the questions I've had now after having a child. Then some shepherd showed up for an inaugural baby visit, just who you want visiting your baby immediately after you give birth to him. And they brought along their sheep who also have no speaking lines, but oh my gosh, they look so cute in their costumes. <laughs> that is what we have been led to believe. Cute, definitely not how it went down. Okay, Mary and Joseph did go to Bethlehem for the census. But they were not in a hurry. The Bible says, while they were there, the days were completed. So they left in plenty of time so that having the baby on the road would not be an issue. And then they waited. <laughs> and they weren't going to leave until the baby came out. They were in Bethlehem for a while. And they weren't alone. Why? Because in ancient society, just like my family, you stay with family. Especially pregnant ones. They're not going to put you up in a hotel. You could stay with family. And this is where we get tripped up with the word in, I think. The Greek word for in actually refers more to a guest room than a hotel room. So rather than being turned away from the myriad of hotels that would have existed in this tiny town of Bethlehem, 
Joseph found his relative's house crammed full of relatives who were also there for the census. They didn't come face to face with closed doors. They just had to make arrangements in the lower level of the house where livestock typically would have been housed at night to protect them from theft and harm by wild animals and from wandering off. And yet, the writer wants you to know that there was no room for them in the usual place that you would house pregnant family members. I feel like that's pretty telling. Are you telling me that not one aunt or cousin or mother-in-law was like, you're nine months pregnant. Yeah, you should sleep with the donkey. They didn't want to give up their better room for her. That feels pretty indicting. But clearly there was something going on. Perhaps they disapproved of Joseph still marrying Mary, who got pregnant without him. Do you ever think about Mary? Mary, mind you, Mother Mary, having mother-in-law drama? We all come from families, and I say this knowing the word family has many different definitions, but no matter how wonderful your family is or that relational dynamic is, everyone butts up against the expectations that just naturally form. There's all the assumptions, right? They just naturally form how you're supposed to act at the dinner table. I tell you, my mom, I fidget. I'm like this all the time. I'll sit like crisscross applesauce. In my house, I'll even put like, I have an armchair kind of thing, like a computer chair. I'll sit like with one leg over it. Ooh, if my mom's around, it like hurts her in her soul. Or if I'm fidgeting, she's like on my knee with that claw hand that moms have. How are you supposed to act at the dinner table? What job you should have? What type of person you should marry? How successful you should be? What beliefs you should have? What political party you should support? How much makeup you should wear? If you can have tattoos or not? And I think in the best light, these expectations occur because people love us. They want what they think is best for us. And we are very love insecure people. And part of finding our love security is getting to check off the list of things that we're doing right in order to have the approval of the people who raised us. There is a pressure, especially at the holidays, to conform to the group standard of what it looks like to represent your family name. And maybe you're not even seeing your family this Christmas, you still may feel that pressure. Maybe you feared, just like I have, that your choices your identity, your incarnation would influence your family to put out a no vacancy sign at the next gathering. I think some of us have made choices in the pursuit of wholeness that there's no turning back from. Some of us have transformed so much from the way we once were, we don't even know how to talk the same way. It's a weird thing to be, right? to be a being, to discover and honor and embody the reality of beingness that we've been given to be. I love, I love that the way Jesus came into the world did not make everyone happy. He didn't come through the traditional way that appeased family and culture standards 
It is true that his incarnation was sung by a choir of angelic hosts, and it also uncomfortably confronted many societal expectations. All of that, and his incarnation was given a path. Yours will be too. Your incarnation, your process of being seen, the beginning of who you will become. It might happen in a small town where no one expects anything like that to be birthed, but it won't go unnoticed by the heavenly hosts. In fact, they might even sing over it. A small group of people, maybe strangers, will dance a jig and be excited for you. Some elders in your community may see your incarnation and whisper prayers of thanksgiving that they get to witness who you're becoming. Maybe in ways you don't expect, strangers from a different country even will give you gifts that sustain you. And this is what I want you to think about this week as we approach Christmas Day, because we're almost there. The story of Jesus' incarnation did not happen without complications. But God made room for it. God will make room for you too. You are no less important. It might not be the incarnation you imagined. It might not be the one that pleases everyone. But it's the one you've been given. And it is good news of great joy the best news. So, side note, this isn't in my notes, but if you're going to spend time with family this Christmas, please hear me. You are actually not responsible for other people's feelings. Now, if you're being a jerk, then you are. (laughs) But if who you are causes people to feel a certain way, that doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. They are allowed to be upset because it's their feelings. And you are allowed to hold your boundaries and protect yourself. So, I don't really have an end now because I went off on a tangent. It was so good at the end. I was like, it's good tidings of great joy. I should have stopped there. (laughs) It is good tidings of great joy. Your incarnation is just as important as Jesus's. And God will make room for it Just hold it in your hands like this. Hold your hopes and your dreams and your plans like this. And be willing to let it go so that something else can be put in your hands. If you hold like this, you'll never get something greater. But if you hold it like this, maybe that's the path for you. Or maybe it's something even more magical that we make paintings about years to come. And you look at it and you're like, that is not real life. That is not how it went down but I look so beautiful. (laughs) We have two more songs, also Christmas songs, because Merry Christmas. And then I will come back and give you a benediction. And then we will go eat food, because that is the best holiday tradition of all.